Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is D, and welcome to episode 107 of the Benzo Free Podcast. I'm going to try and keep this intro short because we have a full plate today, and I can't wait to get to the rest of this. So, But first, I, I do want to cover just a few things. You know, last episode was titled, Just Press Record, A Discussion of Emotions, Online Triggers, and Bind. It was all ad hoc. I just kind of did it impromptu. I didn't really want to sit down and write a script. I was just having a rough week and I just sat and recorded it. And I think sometimes those work and sometimes they don't. I think maybe this one was the latter. I think maybe it didn't work so well. Usually I don't often get a lot of critical feedback, even though I welcome that. I don't get a lot of that, but I can often tell if I get a lot of silence and not a lot of feedback, period, then maybe that episode wasn't quite as effective. And, and I get that. I'm really glad to know that. That's the, that's the information I need to know so that I can, you know, improve and maybe not do that again or do it differently. But, but I, I'm glad to have that feedback. So we're going to go back to a more standard structure today. When I'm not actually recording the podcast or writing the script or doing all the extras that goes with that, or when I'm not working with the Action Work Group, which we are getting ready to launch, um, start the phase two of our development of this um, peer support training program for benzodiazepines, then I'm actually doing all this infrastructure work behind the scenes, like redoing the website and reworking things and migrating things and doing the administrative functions and all that kind of stuff and researching. And that does take a lot of time. And I'm just one person still. This is me. It's my company. I'm just the only one here. Still work at a loss most months, um, hoping to change that so that it can be more stable. And I'm hoping we're going to get into that area here coming next year. But it's still just me. And I, I, I hope we can grow it and that some of you may come and actually can start to do some work and help out what we're doing here and even get paid for some of the work you're doing down the line. And I'm hoping we can build a structure for that. And of course, I always like to in the introduction here, just kind of ask how you're doing. Um, I do want to do a shout out here really quickly to people in Florida. I'm recording this on Thursday, September 29th. Um, Hurricane Ian just kind of swept through, didn't kind of sweep through, pretty much devastated central Florida by going through there. Um, I was watching some of the videos at lunch today and it's, um, it's heartbreaking to see the devastation and what people have been through and are going through. And of course, by the time I release this, that may be heading up towards South Carolina. So I know there might be others that are going to be affected. Um, I don't know that yet, but um, that's where it's headed. So 
And I just want to reach out to everybody and say, you know, our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts are with you. And I hope that, you know, you can find peace, that you can rebuild and you can find a new life and, and come out of this better and stronger in the end. But our thoughts and our prayers are with you. And I just want you all to know that. Our format today returns to our full standard lineup. We start with our introduction, which you just heard. Follow up with our mailbag, our Benzo story, our feature, which is the facts of Benzo withdrawal, the myths versus facts of Benzo's withdrawal and bind, where we dispel the myths and verify the facts and even provide information backing that up. It's a new concept for the feature. I'm trying it out, but I thought it might be interesting to give some solid information with references. And we're going to close it all out with the moment of peace. But before we move on, don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. Comment on our videos on YouTube, on our podcast posts, or via our feedback forum on our website at easinganxiety.com feedback. And while you're there, you might want to subscribe to our mailing list or even donate to support the work we do. It really does help. And remember, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Now let's take a peek inside our mailbag. In the mailbag today, we have a couple of questions from our international listeners. I always like changing things up, and we get a lot of questions from our U.S. listeners, and I love that. But it's also nice to get something, you know, some emails from different perspectives around the world. So our first one here is from John in Scotland. John writes, Hello. I want to express my gratitude for such a wonderful podcast, and I've only recently discovered it. I am currently prescribed temazepam for help with insomnia, 10 milligram dosage. It seems to help, but I am wary of it becoming a drug of abuse. Your podcast provides much food for thought as I begin this journey with these powerful drugs. I will continue to listen and recommend your work to friends and family who may be going through difficult times. Regarding a recent episode, I listened to your struggles with abdominal discomfort and gut health. Have you tried probiotics? A good quality multi-strain probiotic with bifidobacterium, I hope I pronounced that right, has helped wonders whenever I've had a crappy diet or feel bloated or sluggish. They say your gut is like a garden, and the more strains and diversity of probiotic cultures, the better your health will be. You're looking for at least 10 billion strains if possible. Probiotics are certainly not a panacea, but they are, in my opinion, extremely beneficial when combined with a healthy diet good sleep, and exercise. Best wishes, John. Well, thanks, John. Great question and, and great topic for a feature soon. Gut health, benzoyl belly, all that stuff is always, is always a good topic for us to explore here, and I think it's time maybe for another episode on that. First off, I did write back to John about his journey beginning with temazepam. Temazepam is a lower potency benzo. It still can cause dependence when taken continuously. And, and I reminded him that most benzo experts don't recommend benzos 
for longer than two to four weeks. Still, I wished him well and hoped that he doesn't have to face these complications. As for the probiotics, as many of you are aware, I've faced digestive issues my whole life, starting at six months of age, long before I ever took a benzodiazepine. Unfortunately, withdrawal complicated the whole situation with my stomach, and I had some really bad days and weeks, months in there where I was only eating chicken and white rice for a long time because my stomach was so messed up. And, and honestly, I still have some difficulties today. In fact, my stomach has been causing problems lately. I'm not sure if it's bind. I'm not sure if it's COVID, of long COVID. I'm not sure if it's stress. I'm not sure if it's something else. But it's probably a blend, a blend of two or three of those things. To answer John's questions, I did try probiotics during my taper. In fact, I found kefir milk or kefir milk or kefir milk, depending on how you pronounce it, to, to be a lifesaver for me during my more difficult days of withdrawal. Kefir milk is actually a more potent source of probiotics than even yogurt. Now, I'm not recommending this milk necessarily since it can cause problems for some people too. In fact, I stopped drinking it after a while because I think it started to create some problems instead of help. But still, it really seemed to get me through those difficult times. As for supplements and benzo belly, the digestive complications from benzos, it, it's hard to know. Much like almost all supplements during withdrawal, some say they've helped. Others, not so much. It usually comes down to trial and error. I, I did some research to help comment on this question, and there, there was actually a lot more out there than I expected. In fact, if you want to learn more on this topic, just do a Google search for benzo withdrawal and probiotics. But that being said, I really can't, of course, vouch for the legitimacy of some of the articles and studies that you might find. So as always, digest internet content. Notice how you use digest there? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> trying to get cute. Anyway, digest internet content with caution. Most medical professionals do state that probiotics can help your overall gut health. There are even specific strains that are supposedly helpful in managing anxiety. Unfortunately, actual research regarding probiotics and benzobelly is basically non-existent. So we really don't know. Might I try probiotics to help? Yes, I might do that. In fact, <laughs> today at the store, I actually bought two bottles of peach-flavored kefir milk, <laughs> or kefir milk, or kefir milk, depending on what you want to call it. And I haven't done that in a year or two, probably a long time. Um, but, and maybe John's voice was in my head. I've not tried the supplements, and I might try those too at some point, but I actually really love kefir muck. I love the taste of it. I also like the soothing nature of it as I drink it. So I'm going to try that for a while too and see if that settles down this sour stomach I've now had for a while post-COVID and post-bind. Um, so we'll see. Trial and error, right? Remember? Trial and error. We'll see how it goes. And thanks, John, for the question. I'm going to do more research on this and I'll let you all know as I learn as we go. The next question is from Julie in Ottawa, Canada. Julie writes, Hi, I, I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your podcast. I fell on it by accident yesterday, and it's exactly what I needed. 
I'm tapering from clonazepam. I, I needed something to help me emotionally, and your podcast is exactly what I needed. Thank you again, and please continue your work. I, I had a question. I'm on a few benzo groups on Facebook, and I asked this question, but I can't seem to find a clear answer. Is it okay to take CBD tincture with benzos? It, it's CBD in alcohol. I take one teaspoon to one tablespoon before bed. I also take my clonazepam before bed. Thank you in advance for your help, Julie. Well, thank you, Julie. First off, I do want to remind everybody, as I often do, I'm not a medical professional and that nothing I share or say should ever be considered medical advice. That being said, much like probiotics, CBD also has its proponents and opponents in the benzo community. Now, I did try personally variations of CBD tincture with and without THC after my taper. I'm in Colorado, and so getting a CBD tincture with some THC in it is completely legal here. Now, I didn't notice any direct benefits from either, but I know some people that have. I also didn't notice any problems either, so I didn't sense any complications from it. I just did not feel like it directly worked. Most things I have seen about cannabis, CBD and CBD with THC, and withdrawal, focuses on its benefits after you finish your taper, during acute and especially protracted withdrawal. That's when I tried it. It is possible that it might complicate one's taper, but we really don't know for sure. I did come across, as I was doing research on this one, um, an article from Harvard Medical School that stated, studies and clinical trials are exploring the common report that CBD can reduce anxiety. Now, I thought this was interesting. I mean, since anxiety is the number one trigger for benzo withdrawal symptomatology, there very well might be some benefit here. Other studies also suggest that CBD may help with insomnia, another primary cause for people taking benzodiazepines. But few of these studies are definitive. One of the findings I found interesting, though, from this article was that CBD has been found effective in treating some forms of childhood epilepsy. In numerous studies, CBD was found to reduce the number of seizures and in some cases stop them altogether in children. Now, this is interesting to me because benzodiazepines are often prescribed and can be quite effective in managing seizures, including those from epilepsy. So there's definitely some crossover here. But as to whether that speaks to CBD's effectiveness in treating the symptoms of benzo withdrawal and bind, I can't say for certain. Just remember, everyone is different. We truly do react differently during withdrawal more than most of us realize. And also, there is a Facebook group, a support group called Blazing Benzos, which is focused on withdrawal and cannabis use. You may have already know, heard of it. So that might be a thing to check out um, if you're curious. I'm not endorsing the site. I'm just letting you know that it's there. For me, this is almost more of a philosophical question than anything else. You know, the, ma the main reason that I avoided almost all supplements, herbs, medications, and other drugs during my withdrawal was because I didn't want to complicate things. 
our bodies have been changed by this experience. And in my vision, in my view, they need to readjust. Our body needs to readjust. We need to, to let homeostasis reset us. And I wanted to do that as naturally as possible, especially after what I'd been through. Now, some adjunctive substances may ease some symptomatology, but it's also possible they may slow our healing. Once you come off the drugs, our bodies will heal on their own if we let them. Still, as we all know, sometimes the symptoms can be extreme, and we just need relief to get us through the day. And if we can find something to help us do that, that might be the right thing for you. The only rule I find that always fits is trial and error. CBD is relatively safe, especially when not combined with THC. So maybe you want to give it a chance. Please work with your doctor and see what works with you. Okay, that's it for the mailbag. Thanks to John and Julie for sharing their questions with us. And now let's move on to our benzo story. Today's Benzo story is from Jessica. She shares her story in two parts. In the first part, she shares her struggles and hopelessness of repeated Benzo withdrawal attempts. In the second part, her attitude starts to change. After some support from a functional medicine doc, the hope returns and hearing that in her voice warms my heart. Still, I do think it is wise to place a warning here at the start of this story. Jessica's story is hard to hear in parts, as is true of so many of the stories that we share here. So if you're concerned about being triggered by difficult stories of withdrawal and bind, you might want to skip this story. You can see a list of our chapters in the show notes to help. Now, let's hear from Jessica. I just discovered your podcast and your book, and I'm really happy to have it. I have been on benzos for 10 years now. Doctor prescribed at the highest dose of 4 milligrams of clonopin a day and 30 milligrams of Valium a day. Yes, he lost his license. Office just closed without warning, and I had to find the court paperwork on the medical board site. I have come off of benzos twice before. I know I must sound like an insane person that I ever went back on them, but I just lack the coping skills to deal with the vicious panic attacks. I've tried so many things, detox, DBT, CBT, counseling, antihistamines to counter my anxiety and insomnia, exercise, yoga, meditation, but ultimately, eventually, I would take a benzo after hours of an attack. Or I'd go to the hospital where they gave me benzos after an attack. I want this to be the last time. And I want to be me again. But mostly, I want to stop suffering and just be okay. I want freedom to just be. I too have a supportive family. Boyfriend, mother, sister, but there's no way for me to describe this psycho behavior that I'm 
and, and the feeling that I'm dying. I've really lost most of my hope I will ever be able to do it and be okay. And I, and I can't accept not being okay, as you say you have. In the first five episodes of your podcast, I have discovered new resources that I hope to explore further that might be helpful. I really hope this time is the final time because I want a healthy life free from all this. I'm also encouraged by your podcast because it's a resource I can give to my family members to listen to. Maybe it will help explain some of what I try to tell them when they ask what's wrong. And, and I can't say in a kind and calm and descriptive way because even talking about the suffering just enhances it. Anyways, it just really sounds like you're someone who is trying to help others through this journey, and I appreciate that. Because I have literally tried every resource I know in the past, and I'm still here. I don't want to be on this. I don't want to suffer or cause suffering. I want to be me again, so it gives me a little tiny bit of hope. That's what this long, rambling message is meant to say, I guess. Thank you. Well, that's hard to hear. I God, I feel for Jessica. I want to thank her for sharing that, the first part of her message to me. It's, I know this is difficult. I know, um, I know she's gone through so much. Uh, I can't imagine she's on her third attempt to withdraw from benzodiazepines. And I, and I'm, I, I'm hopeful that she's going to get through it this time. I, I did write back to her after that email and try to encourage her and help her find answers, and she, she did respond to me. Just a little while later, and with with a with a slightly better outlook, and and I want to share that with you now. Jessica wrote back the following: D, thank you for your very kind response. I actually have been doing better. I, I had the wonderful opportunity to talk to someone who I reached out to, who you had interviewed as a guest on the podcast. She was so gracious and kind and was able to give me a lot of suggestions, which have really helped in terms of diet, reduction methods, breathing techniques, etc. I thought it premature to write to you until I have made more progress on my benzo journey, or at least until I had gotten through all of your podcast episodes and book. But I'm only at episode 12, and the book just got delivered, so that's going to take some time. But I do have some things to say, and... Maybe it will be helpful to you, and I hope that's the case. If nothing else, at least I feel like I'm doing something productive. My feedback about the podcast is all positive. I learned so much already, and I feel more in control of my life so far anyways. I'm still at 7.5 milligrams of volume, so I'm nowhere near the real withdrawal, but maybe with some of the tips I am listening to, and the resources I am gaining, it won't be so bad this time. One thing I did want to ask you, or at least tell you about, I have learned, and maybe you already know this, like I said, I'm only at episode 12, but I'm working with a naturopath who was able to do a really cool test on my brain and its neural pathways. I'm attaching the test kit and my report so you can see just how messed up this does make your brain. But I've always been frustrated that doctors prescribe medications without actually taking a look at what's going on. 
If you had a broken bone in your arm, they would do an x-ray. I do annual blood work, but it always ends up perfect, all in optimal range. So when I was sick with anxiety and benzo side effects, I really been at a loss on what's going on or how to fix it. And of course, I don't want another med. It's like shooting darts into the dark, but the dark is your brain. So I was so happy to get this because it proved, yes, I have a lot going on right now and no, I'm not crazy. There are very real things that are measurable or quantifiable in my brain, even pre-withdrawal, that are consistent with the terrible symptoms I am having. And I can see them and I can begin to build or rebuild those neural pathways so that the benzo withdrawal is not as painful and so that my cognition improves faster. I got this test done, as you can see, the end of last year, but I really wasn't focused on changing or reducing benzos yet. and was really just trying to start the vitamin protocol that followed and not be so sick. Now, however, I do seem to be stabilizing. Even while I'm reducing benzos, I'm feeling better. It's, it's very shocking. I also noticed while listening to episode 12, the cognitive issues you are or were having and wondered if you're aware of this resource, which is just a simple home urine test for about $200 that can help you get a picture of what's going on in your brain. So you can work with a doctor or naturopath to treat it and restore yourself to a state of homeostasis with less benzo withdrawal. But I wanted to thank you and I wanted to give you the information on this test in case you hadn't heard of it, or in case it isn't discussed at large in the benzo community, because it really did make a big difference for me when I could see on paper what was actually going on and set a path to help to deal with it. I hope others can get some relief or at least learn about this and consider its benefits with their doctor. We aren't crazy. This is real, and here's the proof. I say this as much or more to myself than anyone else. Take care, and thank you again for listening, for caring, and for helping. I hope this helps you too, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. Oh, for sharing that, all that information, um, for sharing your story, how the podcast has helped, for sharing the information with the tests. So much here I'd like to jump back on. So um, let me see if I can talk about a few things that she mentioned here. As you know, in the first section, it was really difficult for four milligrams of clonopin she was prescribed, which is, don't forget that each milligram of clonopin is equal to approximately 18 to 20 milligrams of Valium. That's a huge dose, plus 30 milligrams of Valium a day. I, I'm so glad that doctor no longer has their license. She mentioned she's come off benzos twice, and we all know that can get more difficult each time. And so I know she's going to need a lot of support to try to, to, to work towards getting off it this third time. She said she sounded like an insane person, but trust me, nobody that deals with these drugs to me sounds ever like an insane person. This does a number on us. So the fact that you went back on them Anxiety can wipe you out. The symptoms can wipe you out. I don't judge anybody 
for winding back on benzos, for updosing, for updosing, for updosing, for anything like that, because this is so hard. This is not a place for judgment. It's just a place for understanding and trying to help each of, each of us get through this. I understand lacking the coping skills. That is a big problem. I talk about anxiety management tools, coping skills. It's all the same thing. It's learning how to manage these things. And if you're not prepared, if you don't have that right mindset, if you don't have the coping skills, if you're facing a difficult withdrawal and bind, then you're not ready for it. And that's important to have that. And I'm so glad she has a supportive family. That was huge for me too. And I know that's not the case for everybody out there. Also, she did reach out to somebody, which I'm not, she asked me not to share the name of the person who she reached out to to get support. So I have not done that, but I'm so glad that she has reached out to get support and working through a naturopath. I've seen this time and time again. A lot of people have written into me that have worked with a fun functional medicine doc, a naturopath, alternative medicine practitioner of some kind. And most of that feedback has been very positive. I haven't done that myself. I, I did go to acupuncture. Um, again, I didn't find immediate relief. Maybe I don't stick with these things long enough. So I didn't continue with it, but I still believe that it may have helped if I stuck with it longer. I haven't gone to a functional medicine or naturopath, but you know what? I'm starting to think more about that and starting to think about checking that out. So I might be checking that out. I might be checking this test out. This is very interesting to me. I did review her test and I, I got to see what was on it. And I don't want to share it with you because this is private information. Um, it's her own private test, but it did show some information that I thought was unique and it, and I can see what she was talking about, how it showed elevated, um, neurotransmitters and elevated, different elevated enzymes and things that, um, kind of tight, kind of tied in with her symptomatology. And I think seeing that can be huge for some of us. So maybe this is something to look into. Oh, I don't know. I'm just really happy to see to see that her mood shifted some, that she's gotten some help. She's talked to some good people. She's found a test. She found a new doc and a naturopath. And she's she's feeling good about this 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 um withdrawal and coming off the drug. And that is such a huge part of this. Having that positive energy, having that positive mindset, having that support is so important. And I'm so happy that Jessica has found that. Thanks again, Jessica. And please remember that we always need stories to everybody else out there. So if you want to share your Benzo story with others or an update story or success story or whatever you want, please let me know. Um, you can you can say you want to share on the podcast. You can also just share your story with me privately and I'll keep it between us. Just go to our feedback form at easinganxiety.com slash feedback and you can let us know and send those in. And that closes out our Benzo story. Let's move on to our feature. Feature today is all about the facts. What do we really know about Benzos? What do we know about withdrawal? What do we know about bind? One of the most common elements of Benzo withdrawal and bind is simply this. Questions. With so few real answers. <laughs> There is so much confusion out there, and I think it's a good thing to clear a bit of it up. So this is what I was going to do today. I'm going to present some questions and then answer as best I can based on accurate, verifiable information. Now, since our primary goal here is the truth, 
I will admit up front, I am biased. <laughs> I lived through benzo withdrawal and I'm still living through bind. And now I spend all of my time supporting others doing the same and trying to raise awareness and educate patients and the medical community and provide research and all the day, la dee la dee da. So yes, I am biased, <laughs> but I promise you I'll do my best to try to be impartial, objective, and honest here. Will I fail? Sure, probably now and then, but I'm going to try. I will back up my answers as much as possible with references, and I will list all of those in the show notes. So without any more delay, let's get started. Let's start with a couple obvious ones, yet critical ones, I think. Question. Do benzos work? Are, are they effective for treating anxiety, insomnia, seizures, etc.? Okay. First off, benzodiazepines have been around for over 60 years, and in much of that time, they have been some of the best-selling drugs in the world. If they weren't somewhat effective, it is doubtful they would have remained so popular. Still, even their effectiveness is of debate in some circles. A review of 24 studies with a total of 4,233 participants did find possible superiority of benzodiazepines over placebos in the treatment of panic disorder. But that being said, the authors also voiced caution at that conclusion, stating, Low-quality evidence shows a possible superiority of benzodiazepines over placebo in the short-term treatment of panic disorders. The validity of the included studies is questionable due to possible unmasking of allocated treatments, high dropout rates, and probable publication bias. Moreover, the included studies were only short-term studies and did not examine the long-term efficacy nor the risks of dependency and withdrawal symptoms. I love that they put that end part in there. Thank you to the authors of this paper for mentioning the risks of dependency and withdrawal symptoms. While benzodiazepines may be effective in the short term, their effectiveness often wanes early. It usually doesn't last very long, often just weeks. Counseling such as CBT, anxiety management tools, and antidepressants are common alternatives for benzo use. Although I do want to note here that it's important to keep in mind that many antidepressants, such as SSRIs, SNRIs, come with their own side effects, their own complications, and their own dependence issues. Just want to make sure that we keep that in mind. So to wrap that up, benzodiazepines have been found to be effective. If they weren't effective, they probably wouldn't have become so popular. But still, even that can be in question as to the degree of effectiveness, and that effectiveness often wanes early, so they're usually not effective in long-term use. There. Let's go on to our next question. Are benzos safe? Ah, good one. Despite my bias, and despite the reluctance of many medical professionals, the evidence is clear. So as for our benzodiazepines safe, let's take a look at complications during use first here. Benzodiazepines do have some side effects not directly related to dependence. Side effects that occur just during normal use before dependence starts to kick in. And rather than create the wheel here, let me read a few paragraphs from my book that I wrote on this. 
According to the Drug Enforcement Administration, or the DEA in the U.S., adverse effects of benzodiazepines include aggression, anterograde amnesia, delirium, depression, hallucinations, motor incoordination, paranoia, restlessness, and slurred speech. Those are the highlights. Other sources have added agitation, anxiety, blurred vision, confusion, constipation, difficulty breathing, dizziness, drowsiness, excitability, fatigue, headache, irritability, memory impairment, menstrual irregularities, muscle spasms, muscle weakness, sedation, sexual dysfunction, skin rashes, sleep disturbances, tremors, weakness, and weight gain. These kind of sound familiar, don't they? Yeah. Because many of these are also ones we have seen in withdrawal and bind, and maybe some of these are referring to that. Benzodiazepines may also aggravate other health conditions. According to the State of Pennsylvania Guidelines on Benzodiazepines, benzos can worsen the course of several conditions, including chronic fatigue syndrome, depression, fibromyalgia, hypoxia, including asthma, sleep apnea, COPD, CHF, etc., and impulse control disorders. So there's a lot of side effects already listed, both of the DEA and other sources, to benzodiazepine use. In fact, there was also a study in 2000 that estimated that benzodiazepines caused 1,600 traffic accidents and 100 driving-related deaths each year in the UK alone. And that number has most likely climbed since then. Still, as with any list of side effects, it's important to remember that this is a list of possible side effects only. No one will experience all these side effects, and many of these may be rare. Okay, now let's look at consequences of benzos with adjunctive other, uh, with other medications. You see, benzos don't play well with some other medications. They are very common in overdose deaths. But they rarely get publicized since the most infamous players, such as opioids, get all the press. Benzodiazepines are involved in more than 30% of all overdose deaths. Those are some sobering statistics. Third section here, consequences of discontinuation of withdrawal, especially abrupt or rapid cessation, like cold turkey. Benzodiazepines are one of only two drugs that can kill you when you detox. The other is alcohol. If someone is rapidly detoxed off benzodiazepines, without proper medical support, they can die. The good news here is that a slow taper off these drugs almost always eliminates that danger. And then finally, the fourth section here, bind. This is the condition that most of us are very familiar with, the protracted state of benzo withdrawal. I shared this quote in my book, and I still believe that Dr. Alan Francis, professor emeritus at Duke University and chairman of the DSM-4 committee, summed it up best. He stated, Benzos are very easy to get on, almost impossible to get off. Benzo withdrawal is a beast, often terrifying, sometimes dangerous, and almost always drawn out over a very long period of time. Now, that's a frightening statement. 
And I'm not sharing it to frighten anyone, but sometimes to make our point, we have to use strong language. And I think Dr. Francis did that nicely. Still, let's look at a few other resources. Because to be honest, we really want to hammer this point here for those skeptics who might be listening to our podcast. One of the best resources I like to provide when I am questioned about the legitimacy of benzodiazepine withdrawal complications, or BIND, is the FDA boxed warning in 2020. This warning stated, Physical dependence can occur when benzodiazepines are taken steadily for several days to weeks, even as prescribed. Stopping them abruptly or reducing the dosage too quickly can result in withdrawal reactions, including seizures, which can be life-threatening. Hmm. That FDA warning also mentioned a protracted withdrawal syndrome lasting beyond four to six weeks after initial benzodiazepine withdrawal. I like that one, and it's a great one to use in any discussion you might have about BIND. Still, I think we need more. In a 2018 review paper from the University of Michigan Medical School and Wright State University Boonshoft School of Medicine, the authors concluded, Due to the lack of evidence of efficacy and presence of evidence of many risks, BZD prescription is only recommended in severe, disabling anxiety or insomnia. Until questions about long-term BZD use are satisfactorily addressed, the wise prescriber will limit his prescriptions in number to patients who are severely anxious or insomniac, in dosage to the lowest effective, and in duration to a few weeks rather than months or years. Long-term BZD use has no efficacy and significant harm. Hmm. For those who don't know, BZD, of course, is a term for benzodiazepines in medical literature. This is only one of dozens of papers that have written about these complications. Long-term benzodiazepine withdrawal complications. I could go on and on, but that would take up the rest of this podcast. But I, I do want to add one more piece of evidence here from a personal standpoint. And that is you. The individuals who have suffered this condition for months and years, day in and day out, who've lost jobs, marriages, children, freedom, even their lives, and have had little support from medical professionals, counselors, and the general healthcare establishment for far too long. If you don't believe these people, then you are seriously turning a blind eye to an epidemic which is right in front of you. Please, please listen. They're not making this up. This is not a delusion. This is real. And it's about time you believe them and helped them through this difficult journey rather than stand in their way. I think that needed to be said. Okay. Did I make my point? Because if I didn't, I have plenty of other studies and quotes and data to share to convince anybody. Did I make my point? We're good? Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Back to the questions. Question. 
do benzos cause addiction? Hmm. A common question that has some controversy tied to it. <laughs> can you become addicted to benzodiazepines? Yes, you can, but it's rare. There are some individuals who become addicted to benzos. And this usually happens in combination with other drugs, such as opioids. The vast majority of individuals who suffer complications from benzodiazepine use suffer from the side effects during use or the complications of withdrawal and bind, which is a result of physical dependence, not addiction. In fact, the term addiction isn't really the term used anymore. Instead, we usually say substance use disorder or SUD. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Still, we focus primarily on withdrawal and even more so on bind. Question. Is bind the official term for this protracted condition? I thought I'd ask that one because I feel like this has been some misunderstanding and I wanted to clear it up. The answer is no, not really. I've mentioned before on this podcast that a research team I work with is submitting medical research papers that introduce the term benzodiazepine-induced neurological dysfunction, or BIND, and that we hope that it will become the standard term for this protracted condition many of us deal with. And I'm, I'm so happy to see so many of you start to use the term as you've been writing in to me, and I love that. But that being said, it's not an official term. And most medical experts will not know what it is if you bring it up and you mention BIND. Defining a new medical condition takes time. It takes publication. And I'll admit, I don't even fully understand the process, but I'm learning as I go. There are still many other terms out there, some also proposed by research papers. So at this point, there is not some official condition term for this protracted withdrawal condition. That being said, BIND is a term that is backed by several leading organizations in the benzo community, including the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, who funded the research I'm speaking of, Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, or BIC, whose medical director is part of the team we're working with, Benzodiazepine Action Workgroup, whose co-chairs, myself and Dr. Ritvo, are part of the team we're working with, and my own benzo organization, of course, Easing Anxiety, which is, yes, still just me. Um, so I do believe that BIND has a good chance of becoming the de facto standard. So to sum all that up, is it okay to use the term BIND? Yes, absolutely. I do so, and so do members of the above organizations. But you may want to refer to it also as protracted withdrawal or benzo withdrawal syndrome or something like that, so they may know what you're talking about. We're just trying to propose this new term that's going to differentiate this long-lasting condition. We're promoting it wherever we can, but this process takes time, and it's going to be a while for the research to come out, for the papers to get published, and for the medical community to start to know this term and understand it. I hope that helps. Next question. How many bind symptoms are there? Well, as you can probably imagine, this one does not have a simple answer. Some will say a few dozen, others will say over a hundred. In fact, if you read one article on the internet, which I did when I wrote my book, the number is as high as 90 million. <laughs> there was an article that was not in support of BIND or of this condition that we're going through, 
but instead was trying to attribute protracted withdrawal to mass hysteria. And that what we do is encourage people to wrongfully stop taking their medications that are helping them. Their list of 90 million is an attempt to show the ridiculous nature of our claims. Well, it's obvious I do not support this supposition. And in fact, we don't encourage people to withdraw who do not want to. As I've made quite clear on this podcast, I'm not a medical professional. I do not give medical advice. And all we do is share the expert opinions and results of studies, including the FDA, which pretty much backs what we are saying here. If one chooses to withdraw, we always encourage them to work with their doctor and remind them that experts encourage us to taper slowly when we do. Anyway, I digress. Back to symptoms. How many bind symptoms are there? There's not a set number for many reasons. First off, how do you determine what defines a symptom? Let's take muscle tension, for example. Is muscle tightness also muscle tension? Is that part of the same symptom or is it a separate symptom? Are muscle tics the same? What about tremors? What about shaking? What about spasms? Are they all one symptom? Are they all separate symptoms? Do you see where I'm going? Like, uh, I have spiders on my face. And that's considered a nerve sensation, but it's also considered formication, and it's also considered paresthesia. <laughs> These are all terms for different for, for similar things, but they are different terms. And if you list them separately, it becomes four symptoms instead of one. If you want to take a look at a long list of these symptoms, check out the withdrawal and post-withdrawal symptoms page on BIC's website. That's Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. Yeah, there's a link to that in our references too, but their website is benzoinfo.com and you can check it out there. So you understand the confusion. And as a former database developer for a long time, I like things organized. So when I wrote my book, I wanted to be more organized and more simplified. And I, and I wanted to find a better way to present the symptoms. So I went back to the best resource for benzo withdrawal on the planet. No, not my book. <laughs> I like my book and all, but it's definitely not the best resource for benzo withdrawal on the planet. I'm talking about the Ashton Manual. I'm talking about the Ashton Manual here, and and I took Ashton's list. She listed off different symptoms, and she also started to categorize it. And so I tweaked that a bit, added a few things to it, and I put that in my book. This was a list that organized the symptoms of protracted withdrawal into psychological symptoms and physical symptoms with seven categories in each group. This structured symptom list has been included in several presentations now, training programs, and other resources since then. In fact, I did a 14-part series on this list right here on the podcast with one episode dedicated to each category. But if you want to see the list, the easiest method is to go to our website at easinganxiety.com, click on the Benzo Info button, and then select Bind Symptoms, and there you go. That being said, I'm not going to go through all this in detail here because this is running long and I'm running out of time. So let me just quickly tell you the 14 categories for your information. Under psychological symptoms, there are categories such as anxiety symptoms, behavioral, cognitive, excitability, perception, sleeping, and social. And under physical symptoms, there are abdominal and gastrointestinal symptoms, symptoms of the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth, head and neck symptoms, heart and lung symptoms, muscular symptoms, nerve sensations, and immune and endocrine symptoms. There, that sums that up. 
please feel free to check out our website for a lot more information on that. No, this is not all the symptoms of bind. And I'm not even saying that this list includes all the symptoms of bind. But I think it's a good starting point, And it helps us to organize what we're talking about. Next question. Is bind permanent? I get this one a lot. And that is why I wanted to include it. The truth is, and it is a hard truth, we don't know. It is possible that some of the symptoms that we develop during withdrawal and bind may be permanent. I wish I could give you an emphatic no, but I can't. And as you know, I won't lie to you. It is possible that some of the symptoms that we deal with in bind might be permanent. One obvious one, personality change. Yes, some of us, yours truly included, change our personality during withdrawal. I am not the same person I was when I started. I am different. But here's the thing with that one. It doesn't mean I'm worse. In fact, I'm sure my personality is better than it was. And many people have told me the same. Any traumatic event like benzoyl withdrawal can cause changes in one's personality. This is very common. Often during the more severe stages of benzoyl withdrawal, we become very strained. But equally as often, as things start to ease, we find a new life, new attitude, and, and even a better outlook on our journey. And we've learned so much through this difficult process. And those things we've learned have helped to change our personality. But that's just personality change, and that probably was not the focus of this question. So back, looping back, as many of you know, I am eight years off benzos now, and I still have bind symptoms. And I know that many of you have looked at my journey for hope and encouragement, and that this fact does not help with that. I have given many possible reasons for my protracted state. Many of them are quite valid, but still in the end, I'm still dealing with the consequences of my benzo use, and there's no way around it. Still, I'm very hopeful that one day this is all going to go away, and I am significantly better than I was in the early years of my withdrawal and bind. I have come a long way, and I'm very happy about that. As for the evidence, there isn't much on this one. Back in 1982, Malcolm Later, one of the true champions of the benzo community, alerted us to the possibility of permanent changes to the brain from long-term benzo use. He, he sought funding to investigate this further, but his request was denied. Now, others have alluded to the possibility of permanent changes, but no definitive studies have cleared up that question, which leaves us with anecdotal evidence. I can tell you this, I have not seen any evidence in studies or anecdotally that convinces me these changes are permanent. And I've read a lot on this topic. This is what I do. I have spoken with people who have said they have fully healed 10 years out and longer. And I must admit, I'm hopeful I will be one of these individuals because if it's 10 years out, I only got two years to go. Now, I know that 10 years sounds like a long time to many of you, and it is. But remember, that these are a very small number of individuals who have symptoms this long. Most of you will not be these people, these people, including me. <laughs> Most of you will not be me and will not be people that have it that long. 
And don't forget, I have healed significantly in that period of time. I wish I had a better answer here, but the truth is we don't. My main advice here is simply this. Focus on living your best life now as you are. Make the most of your life now that you can with whatever limitations you have. The more we focus on the goal of healing and wondering what that will be and obsessing about why we haven't healed yet, the harder our recovery will be. I still have symptoms. I still have limitations. And I still live a full life. I'm productive. And I'm quite joyful most of the time. I am better off than I was when I first took these drugs. And that's the God's honest truth. Next question. Are Z drugs the same as benzodiazepines? First off, let me tell you what Z drugs are. Z drugs or non-benzodiazepines are a class of sedative hypnotic medications which are most recognized by their brand names like Ambien, Sonata, and Imovane. While they have completely different chemical structures to benzodiazepines, they still appear to have similar complications when it comes to side effects, physical dependence, and withdrawal. Much of the content that we share about benzo withdrawal and bind is also true about Z drugs. I hope that helps. One more question. I'm way over time here. I might have to break this into two parts. We'll see what happens. But this one's more timely, and I thought I'd throw it in. Do benzos have an effect on COVID? Unfortunately, the answer here appears to maybe be yes. A nationwide cohort database study from September of this year examined the association of benzodiazepines with the SARS-CoV-2 infection regarding clinical outcomes. In the discussion of the paper, the authors stated the following. In summary, BZD use was not associated with a risk of SARS-CoV-2 positivity, severe outcomes, or mortality. However, BZD use, especially for more than 180 days, conferred a higher risk of need for hospitalization among COVID-19 patients. That's interesting. So for those that took benzos, for three months or 180 days, not six months. I got to do my math in my head better. No, 180 days is, yeah, six months. <laughs> I got to get that right. For 180 days, for six months or longer, had a higher risk of the need for hospitalization when they got the disease. Now, this increase um, for the need for hospitalization may be contributed to possibly a lowered immune system. We know lowered immune system is a common effect of benzo use and withdrawal. Other studies have shown that BZD use can increase the susceptibility to superinfections in influenza-infected animals and humans. Here's what the author stated. The underlying mechanism may be related to the effects of BZD on the immune system. BZD amplifies the effect of the gamma-aminobutyric acid receptor, GABA, in immune cells, which may lead to an immune-suppressant profile. Hmm. A couple of caveats I do want to keep in mind here. Recent studies have suggested that patients struggling with mental illness have also shown a higher risk for severe COVID-19 outcomes. And since some, not all, 
of individuals who take benzodiazepines long-term are dealing with or have dealt with mental health disorders, this may contribute to the higher hospitalization rates. Also, this study was performed on patients who are still taking benzodiazepines, and thus, we would need further research to see if the same pattern existed in patients who have discontinued the drug. Anyway, to sum up, it appears that benzo use may increase the severity of COVID symptoms, and that this may be due to a lowering of the immune system from the drug. And that's our last question. So we're going to wrap up our feature. But before we move on, please allow me just 25 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benson Free Podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering on any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you're in a safe place where you can... Close your eyes, relax, let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today's moment of peace is a listening meditation. This is one of my favorites. The goal here is to listen to the sounds around you. Without judgment, without attaching any emotion to them even without trying to identify or name them. But just listen. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. and focus on the sounds around you. If your mind wanders, which it will, just gently bring it back to listening. No judgment, no stress, just sound. Continue to do this for one minute.
Our next scheduled episode is episode 108, and it will be released in the next couple of weeks. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.